Back in 2006, we had this great idea of starting a digital marketing agency, Invesp. We had no idea what our journey would look like and how our company would grow. In a turn of events, as if we weren't busy enough, a couple of years ago, we launched our SaaS company, FigPi. Two companies run by a husband-wife team and stretched thin. Our life is crazier than ever. Join us every week on Boot Trapped, where we talk about running our two companies, the ups, the downs, and the lessons we learn along the way. And another week, another episode of Boot Trapped. And what a busy week. I think that's maybe the theme for this episode. I was just asking Ayat, okay, we didn't pick a theme for this episode, but Ayat, how's it going? Yeah, I mean, you know, some weeks you feel like you're running around like a headless chicken, you know, it's just crazy amount of meetings and you just go from one meeting to the next. So you feel like you really are not accomplishing anything necessarily. So that has been my last week. And I think in general, the summer sometimes brings a little of that just because you have other stuff that are going on in your personal life outside of just work. So working from home makes that a little bit more challenging. This week, we did think a little bit about the onboarding process because I believe that there's a lack of structure there. We've added a couple of new members and we usually had a process of giving them certain trainings and whatnot and then getting them involved in things later. And we've shifted things a bit on them. You need to explain because although I know everything that happened, you used the word thing so many times. So we used to actually wait before we assign somebody a project slow them, ease them in. And then we found that actually doing that caused, I guess, complacency to a certain extent. They got used to a certain way and then you start overwhelming them with projects and they're just like, oh, like, I don't know how to handle this. So we wanted to try to strike a balance and have our team members join a project shadowing somebody else. But the problem with that, you solve something from here and then you mess up something from here. The problem with that is that then the onus becomes on one individual that already has multiple projects that they have to do, and that's too much. So you have to kind of structure it in a way where you're onboarding them. Maybe they're shadowing mainly that person, but they're also learning different aspects of the project from different individuals throughout the company. And that way, the onus is on multiple people, and everybody feels like they're contributing to this. And You're not removing one person or the next. You're actually involving everybody. And I do also think that it should be facilitated by the project managers. That also is something that is another area that we need to tackle. That's where we're at with the onboarding. You know, we went from two extremes and now we're just trying to find a middle ground that maybe could make everybody happy and make sure that we're also providing everything that this new person needs. Right now, like with this last experience, maybe feel like it doesn't make sense to necessarily add them onto the project immediately, but also... Add the new person. Add the new person. But there's also negatives to that because how are they going to take over a project from somebody else? And there's just complexities. There's areas that we still have to work on and think about, but we're working on structuring that a little bit more. I reflect back, as you said this, to my days at Sapient. So everybody who joined went through one week of training. I still remember I was fresh out of college. They flew me to Boston. We did one week of intensive training. So you're doing like, you know, from, it wasn't eight. Sapien never starts at eight, not to offend anybody at Sapien back then. And this is probably like not 23 years ago. 
9 until 6. And of course, everybody's in the office, so you're hanging out together, building really kind of that team connection. But then really by the end of the first week, you knew your assignments. You're on this project, you're on that project. The difference between what Sapient did and what we did is Sapient had senior engineers and a software architect, a project manager. So although for us engineers, we're still fresh out of college, I mean, imagine, oh, just like, you know, three weeks ago, I was in college and now I've started, I'm actually on a project. You had guidance. So you had your senior engineer who's going to guide you. And the projects that I've joined were always just brand new projects. So projects, Sapient moved a little bit slower. So it's, oh, nothing is happening for the first month. You're still trying to figure things out. The client is trying to figure things out. That's, I think, where the difference between investment, we don't have two people correct on a project. So that's one thing. Yeah. And then also, like, we're a much smaller company than Sapien. I mean, gosh, Sapien had how many employees? 3,500 employees. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, when I joined yeah. it, it was 1,500. By the time I left, I think two years later, it was like not 3,500. So the company went through the growing pains. But you know what was fascinating about Sapient? The company had started in 1990. So when I joined, it was around for 10 years. And what was fascinating to me back then is every project has its own process and its own framework. Like literally we had to sit there and it's like, oh, how should we create use cases? How should we create this type of document? And I'm like, guys, you've been doing this for 10 years. Surely you have a process defined. No, it was left completely up to the project team to manage. You had the project manager and the senior project manager and director of project management who shows up because he's managing multiple projects. But I have to say, I mean, there's a merit to that because I also feel like you lose the autonomy of a project when you have it so processed. Look, for a scalable model, yes, you want to make sure these processes are in place. But for making sure that there's autonomy and you're really like thinking about the project as a whole, there's a merit to making sure, hey, you know, you have to build this stuff out. Obviously, I'm sure they use resources and they figure out like, you know, okay, based on previous experiences, I'm going to utilize XYZ. But I think there's something about that because I do believe every client has their own challenges. They only have their own set of customers. They have their own development challenges and situations. So all of that has to kind of be taken into consideration. It's almost like you want to take that step back to figure out, well, where do I need to plug people in and do the right thing and structure this project? I mean, it's just fascinating. I had to say this, that they've used previous projects. You're talking to the person who created their use case and workflow document templates. A month earlier, I was still like you know, taking my final exams and I'm like, oh, we don't use templates. And within the pro- I was on a larger project that had about 40 resources to start with and everybody was doing their own thing. And I'm like, I think it makes more sense to come up with a template that everybody uses. And my senior engineer is like, hey, have at it. Create a template and we'll use it. And it's funny because every once in a while I go and I pull that template. I'm like, oh, was a good template for the most part. So there's some useless information in it because I thought it would be good to add. That's just fascinating. So yeah, I mean, it's just interesting coming up with a structure for the onboarding process, kind of figuring out the best way to onboard resources. Given the fact that the context, oh, we're a small company, like 25 people, you know, 30 people. How do you actually create something that works for a small? Because the process that works for a 200 or 3,000 person company is a lot different than a process that works for a 25, 30 person company. What else? What else? We had an interesting PM discussion today. And I think any time you try to optimize processes, it's painful. It's usually met with resistance. And, you know, like, again, you and I have always struggled with trying to find individuals within the company that are going to take ownership and run with things and 
solve problems rather than you and I always being like the bottleneck of solving problems. And that's still the case this many years later. And it's a struggle. I actually don't find that with ThickPi, but I've made the conscious decision to say, I'm stepping out of this. Sometimes I don't even point out the problems or I might find a good idea. And I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? And maybe it's just kind of different teams. One is like development, like, you know, very development and product management oriented. One is like, well, no, it's consulting and you're dealing with clients and whatnot. So also kind of the different team members and the makeup and the thinking of the team. So it's fascinating. We don't even have project management, correct? It's FigPi. But I don't see that that's necessarily 100% true with FigPi. Again, this is my observation. You still have to be there and kind of facilitate things for marketing and whatnot and come up with the ideas. There's still that issue there. I just think that also invest has a lot of chefs in the kitchen between you and I also. I believe that that sometimes contributes to the lack of focus and direction. And I find that a struggle. It does come up and flare up when you and I have like a disagreement on something. Or if you bring in an observation, sometimes it flares up a little bit more. You know, so just trying to work through that because it's fragmented. A lot of times you might be like, we should do this and we'll run with it. But it ends up fragmenting what the direction should be. Yes, it's fascinating because sometimes we were talking about that earlier, I think yesterday or day before yesterday, where people sometimes reach out to me and I've had a discussion with people or even in our CRO education, which we hold every Friday, and I might have ideas. I'm like, oh, well, this is how this should be done. But I always tell people, I'm very theoretical. I am not on projects. I don't get involved in the details. So everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And sometimes I might suggest something that is absolutely stupid. And it doesn't make sense to even think about because I'm like, well, you know, this client is different and this particular case is different. Sort of interesting that way. And I think also... And I don't know how you feel about this. Although we have teams and we have project management and operations and all that, we're still semi-flat. Would you say that or no? Flat in what as, way? As an, or as an organization, our organization structure is somewhat flat. It's not multi-layer. Also, like, no, we're small, correct? So, Right. I mean, that contributes to it. It is still, you know, because I think we're still trying to build it up. And I think we've also struggled with that. That's interesting. Those are my, what I did last week. Why don't you share what you did last week? So going back to the things that I worked on and marketing team plans. So the team had put the plans together. I've reviewed them, made some suggestions. And I think Simba, who's our head of marketing, just kind of gave the team thumbs up and they start moving towards those. So I still feel there's a little bit of lack of clarity when it comes to marketing. And I'm spending some time with Simba thinking through the different goals that we are trying to achieve, the different channels, the different methods. What are the experiments? Even more important questions. What's the budget for this activity? And should we be launching these campaigns? I just want to be careful because sometimes I think the team can suggest different things. And I'm like, Simba, we don't want to go to the point where I think March and April, we tripled the marketing budgets. And it was a time that Sales were slow and it's like, oh, we're investing in marketing, we're investing in marketing. And I had a heart attack looking at the credit card bill. I'm like, whoa, how did this happen? Well, how did it happen? Because you approved all these different campaigns. So I'm trying to be very cautious of that just so we are not surprised. That's one area that I've worked on. 
thinking a lot about, and this might be FigPi, this might be like invest kind of the CRO educational piece because we're doing that every week. And it's sort of now becoming a joint session between invest and FigPi, but really there's not a whole lot of structure to that. So just kind of thinking through that, I worry about meetings where there is like, you know, 10, 15 people who attend because I think they're very expensive meetings. <laughs> you want to make sure that you're providing value and I don't want to meet just for the sake of meetings. So how do you make sure that you're actually providing value? What are the topics and how do you structure those? So we've held them now for the past three weeks. I think a couple of the sessions were useful. A couple of the sessions were not that great. They're more just like, oh, we're just throwing ideas out there, trying to discuss those. So how do you bring structure into that? And then the other thing that I did last week is I've reached to somebody who does well on YouTube. So they've grown multiple YouTube channels. And I was asking them, Hey, can you take a look at our YouTube channel? What do you think? Where are we at? Now, the YouTube channel is growing. So every week we get 20 to 30 new subscribers, which is really nice to see that. People tell you don't look at the numbers and their vanity numbers. Guess what? When I'm growing, I want something that tells me that I'm heading in the right direction. I'm still not sure if we are on the right direction. So we reviewed the channel, came back. He said, hey, the content is actually really good. You have a few issues. One is in the packaging of your YouTube channel. So that's number one. Packaging is basically thumbnails and headlines. You need to fix that to make sure that's really you're captivating people because people search for something or they're browsing the channels and then they see a quick headline and they see a thumbnail and they decide whether they want to click or not. So we're failing at that, although we have the most amazing content, but people are not aware of it. So that's one issue. And then the other issue, the channel is hyper-focused on A-B testing and experimentation. Good thing, bad thing, we just need to do some thinking around that because the domain that we operate in is not huge, correct? Let's say you're putting a YouTube video about business or about YouTube. If you do a good video and you build a following, you can get 100,000, 500,000, maybe even a million views. If you're talking about A-B testing, our most popular video maybe has 7,000 views, but typically we get about 1,000 views. Again, I understand those are vanity metrics, but at least they give me kind of a sense like, okay, we've chosen to be very hyper-focused. So does that make sense or not? Yeah, but I mean, we had talked a little bit about restructuring that whole YouTube channel. Has there been any progress made there? No. So think about this. With every video that you publish, there's a core audience. Those people who subscribed to your channel, they raised their hand and they said, this information that you're presenting is actually relevant to me. So all the core audience, all about 1,500 subscribers that we have to the channel right now are saying, we're interested in A-B testing. We're interested in conversion optimization. When you start recording to, like, let's say you expand like into business, again, we're not going to worry about FigPi or Invest, correct? It's like another channel supposed to be Khalid and Ayat, but our audience saying, I'm interested in A-B experimentation. I'm interested in conversion optimization, whatever you present there. And if you think about it, somebody, a CRO or they're interested in that. Our target audience are e-commerce operators. There could be a director of e-commerce, a VP of e-commerce, maybe like a, an owner of an e-commerce site. The topics that we're presenting are very narrow that sometimes they're really, they're like, yeah, we're not really interested in this touch level of detail. I just recorded a video about statistical significance and A-B testing. I don't think our target audience really cares about that. So how do you actually think about the topics and structuring the topics in a way that is interesting to them? And what do you do with the channel as it exists? So those are the questions that I still have no answer to. And it's almost like I'm at a point I talked to Simba and I told him, 
find us somebody, a YouTube expert. Let's just have a conversation with them besides the gentleman I talked to last week, just about the channel structure and the topics and whatnot, thinking through that. What do you think? I don't know that somebody's going to necessarily have to give you an answer for that. I think it's almost like a business decision that you have to make. And I don't know that there's a replica of us. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, that gives you that unique perspective and a little bit more. It helps define what your path is. So, you know, you have these businesses and these products and visitors can access different topics depending on their level of interest, whether it's from the broad business perspective, which again, we have a lot of experience in running two businesses, or from the perspective of actually a more granular, focused level. I don't know that there's a ton, maybe I'm wrong, of experiences like that, and I think it can offer something unique to people. Well, no, think of it from a different perspective. Yes, okay, so you have the experience of running an agency, doing CRO, correct, and then the business side of things. But at the same time, If you're recording a video that does not appeal to your audience, you need to send enough signals to tell YouTube that's okay, here's the topics about my channel. And if you record something outside, YouTube is like, oh, your core audience is not really interested in this. It's not going to even suggest it to other people because it has an idea that, oh, this channel is all about A-B testing and experimentation. And now you're recording a business video while people are not interested in it. So it's going to automatically kill the reach of that video. So you can record all of this. Like, hey, we have the experience. Well, yeah, you've spent the last eight years telling YouTube something else and sending different signals to YouTube. I do think it's a business problem, but at the same time, you need to think about like you know the medium that you're delivering this content within. I mentioned this and very, very successful, the Harmuzis, Alex and his wife. They have a ton of experience running businesses. They have a ton of experience in running gyms, correct? That's where their business experience is in. But then you look at their video and then... They removed all the content around running gyms and how you become a successful gym owner and they went to business, you know, general business, and that appeals a lot more. And of course, they have a humongous audience, so they're able to go from 100,000 subscribers to 1.5 million within 11 months, 12 months. But they've also come like, oh, we have content that appeals specifically to gym owners. And it's like, oh, that's a very narrow niche. How do we expand from that? I guess still needs a little figuring out before. So I had big lessons from last week. I think sometimes I go into things, and this happened a couple of times for me, where I had like much higher expectations, whether it's like with people or whether it's with like a process that we're trying. And sometimes you get disappointed. <laughs> so I need to lower expectations. <laughs> to be honest, is that I feel like I need to lower expectations. I expect sometimes people to run with things or do things or something to work that we're a new thing that we're trying and it doesn't. This is like actually like it's A-B testing, right? Like a lot of times you go in with a really high expectation of an experiment and then you're crushed. You're humbled. You're humbled. (laughs) Yes, you're humbled. Uh You will be humbled. Sometimes you have to understand that because otherwise, yeah, it could be soul crushing, right? I don't know if it's soul crushing. It's funny. I remember listening to an interview I think it's the co-founder of Netflix. And his theory was that 90% of the things that you're going to try in business are going to fail running a company. He said, I just want to fail really quickly. I just don't find the next thing. So that's one school. And then the other school is you know, trial by error. It's a sure way to pay the dump tax where it's like, oh, we're going to try this. Oh, it failed. And instead you want to, and I think that's Keith Cunningham, who I absolutely love his book, the road less stupid, where he says, you need to ask questions. And he says, 
entrepreneurs are really good at looking at the positive things of, oh, this is going to succeed and things are going to work. He's like, oh, we're good at that. That's the reason we started companies. And that's the reason, like, you know, we do what we do. But you need to ask two more questions. What would happen if this fails? That's one. And number two, are you willing to live with the consequences of this thing failing? And he said, those are the questions that you really have to think about before you make a decision. Another lesson that I have, my kind of big lesson is, you and I have always tried to separate, but not exactly. And I'm coming more to see what does that look like, that separation, like the roles and the responsibilities and whatnot. And we have, we have operated. And I think that I asked this before, is that something that is a drawback or is it actually, no, that's good. I'm not sure. Sometimes I have questions about it. The separation you mean? Yeah, like how much separation and should there be more, should there be less and defining the roles better, even for the team. Because I do feel like sometimes there might be a little bit of struggle there. So, Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Remember, I was asking today in the morning, I'm like, hey, we need to probably set up like a once a week we go out to breakfast or we can just catch up because sometimes we're just running. I'm running with processes. You're running with processes. We're talking to different team members. And sometimes bootstrap and recording this <laughs> this podcast is our chance to catch up with each other. To say, hey, here's what's going on. What do you think about this? And just kind of asking different questions. How about for you? What are some of your big lessons? I think the, the big thing for me is you can learn. You put your mind to something, trial and error, optimizing. You, you can learn something and you can fix it. But I think you can grow faster by just hiring an expert and talking to them it costs money, but it shortcuts the amount of time that is required to finish something. So that's really kind of the big thing. And many times, and I think like, you know, I'm looking forward to starting with our business coach, but I think it's a lot better just to go ahead and just pay the money and save the headache and the heartache and just get there a lot faster. Yeah. And I think that's with anything, right? Khaled, like we actually, in our personal life, we experience this hands-on with painting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Pay an expert and just get it over with. They know what they're doing and they can do it faster and they can do it more efficiently and you know, less heartache and headache, but more expensive. But I mean, your time is money. Oh, definitely. No, I agree with that. I agree. I just sometimes have a tough time to part, like, you know, kind of like saying, oh, we'll pay like, you know, 3000 5000 $10,000 for this. And I'm like, no, we can figure it out. You end up paying much more money actually trying to save. It's like, oh, I've tried to save money. Oh no, this costs even a lot more. Ayat's big plans for next week? Well, we're finally starting, I believe, with our coach next week. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I thought it was beginning of August. Did we set that? We didn't set any of that. Okay. Well, that's what I thought. Okay. So I assume that maybe that means if we haven't set up or talked or decided on anything, it probably won't be next week. It'll be the week after, you know, getting things arranged. I did want to figure out whether or not we're going to be in person or online, I think in person is helpful, at least, you know, like in the beginning. I want to get control of my schedule because my schedule has been all over the place because of a lot of things going on in the summer. So I'm hoping that next week there'll be a semblance of calmness. And then that's it. I think I just want to get a better routine for after the summer craziness, but that's it. How about yourself? We have a ton, I think a major release for FigPi coming up. So I'm super excited about that. It's actually starting to happen today and it's going to continue over the next two to three days. So there's almost 12 new features that are coming up. So that's going to be a really big deal. 
And then really continuing the discussion with team members about marketing and figuring out the videos. And I think we're making progress. Let's put it this way. This week, although we have not made decisions, we are in a better spot than last week. I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll have this figured out. And for us, I think we move slow, but at the same time, when we make a decision, it's going to be a couple of year investment, two years, three years investment. So it's going to be really, really big. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And it's funny because I just prior to this call, I got our search engine optimization SEO report. So we seem to be doing better. Traffic is trending up. We're ranking a lot more for more keywords. Of course, this happens in the summer. This happened in the summer. So we'll figure this out and then see how the real measurement of that will come, like, you know, and will happen towards the end of August, beginning of September, because that's when traffic starts normalizing and people are back from work. So we shall see. We shall see. So thank you everyone for listening. We'd love for you one ask, leave us a review on wherever you listen to this podcast. Until next time. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode from Bootstrapped. If you learned something new from this podcast or got some useful insights, we would really appreciate it if you leave us a review. Until next time.